the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is a bonus episode, and our guest is Anna Morissette of The Still Tide. Our bonus series is where we share conversations that may not necessarily make sense as feature episodes, but nonetheless deserve to be heard. This one is so wonderful. It was so much fun. The Still Tide's new record comes out on January 17th. It's called Between Skies. It's a beautiful album, and I'm so excited for y'all to hear it. Anna and I caught up by phone on a recent evening. Uh, She was such a delight, and I'm just incredibly grateful for this opportunity. The song you're hearing is Change of Address from The Still Tides Between Skies. You can find all things The Still Tide at thestilltide.com. Look for all things Marinade at marinadepodcast.com, including more bonus episodes like this one, concert photography, merchandise, and so much more. Also, Follow us on Twitter for updates and conversations about the show. If you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community. For just a few dollars a month, you can make a huge difference for us. Plus, you will gain access to Patreon-exclusive content, like our show Jason's Journey, about the moments that have shaped my creative life. All right, enough about us, everyone. It is my distinct honor to present my conversation with Anna Morissette of The Still Tide.
dress See yourself again It takes no time to begin Hello? Hey, this is Jason Earl from the Marinade Podcast. Calling for Anna? Yeah, this is she. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing great. I'm enjoying the fall colors changing. It's so nice. Oh, yeah. In Florida, it's it's only 88 degrees now. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. How do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, I think, you know, and I want to talk about place, so I'm glad you started there. But, um... (laughs) <laughs> I think uh, yeah, I grew up here um, and I've lived other places, but I, and I've visited a lot of other places, but I grew up here. And so um, you get used to it and you almost like, I've seen a lot of um, a lot of tweets and uh, you know, just social media posts in general uh, of late uh, and people in, in Canada and in, in North, the Northern United States talking about sort of like seasonal depression and, affective disorder mm. and all that and you know yeah. it, it when i do spend time in cold climates in the winter it does hit me really really hard because i'm not used to it i'm used I to constant imagine. sunshine you know yeah <laughs> yeah that makes sense oh. <laughs> um so what kind of Florida are you in i'm in oh, orlando yeah, where are you going? no 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 well oh, it's cool. cool we can talk yeah uh, i'm in orlando i've been here what three almost four years now i guess Cool. Yeah. I like Orlando. Yeah, you should come yeah. play. I should. I would love to get down there, especially as it gets colder up here. That's what the plan should be. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm style. here for it for sure. Um, oh, but you you kind of have been a rambler, though, in your life, right? You've moved around quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, like, after growing up in Olympia, I went to college in Portland and then. Got like a, a like a wild uh, idea and moved to New York and was there for like six and a half years and then from there kind of on accident moved to Denver, Colorado and then I've been there. But I've really just mostly been on tour for ten years. Oh so. uh, yeah. <laughs> <word>. <laughs> um, does does place impact your creative process one way or the other? Do you find yourself able to create yeah. or more likely to create in one place versus another? Oh, definitely. I think I loved living in New York, but it's such a tough and exhausting city to live in. And I feel like I never really had space mentally mm-hmm. <laughs> or otherwise, or even time just to write. And I think that was kind of like what pushed me out of there in the end was just all I'd wanted to do was just play and write and kind of explore whatever was in my heart for music. And I just could never never really find time or space because you're like hustling with a few jobs or you just, you know, had like three or four different roommates. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I think even we had a rehearsal space at some point in Bushwick and we were so excited and we like decorated it and made it like this little cool cavern, but you could only really write in there during certain like few hours a day because all the other like heavy metal bands would come into the space around you. <laughs> so like you'd be writing this like tiny super tender too and then like the minute they start practicing like well i guess that's over now i I can't hear anything (laughs) it's now a really angry tune instead of a tender tune (laughs) yeah that actually maybe that did influence some writing (laughs) (laughs) well how about the the ep doesn't um it comes out in january and it's between skies it's wonderful i've had a chance to listen to it and 
you just did an outstanding Thanks. job. It's beautiful. And I, I'm really digging oh. it. Um, can you kind of talk about how it came together? Um, are those songs that were written since moving to Denver? Are those songs, uh, you know, how, did they come together in some different way? Um, what did that look like? Oh yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, cause this one actually came out a little bit differently than I think like I'm always kind of quietly writing songs and we'll play for hours at a time and like just trying to find that little like edge of something new and exciting and kind of what will you know pull you forward into the song itself um but for this record i like they're all actually no that's funny now that you say now that i'm really thinking about it one of those songs called amsterdam i'd actually started writing in amsterdam Hmm. like years and years ago and granted it's like so turned into something else than where it started Mm -hmm. from where Mm -hmm. it was but that one started there and then but a lot of the songs really did just kind of come together over last fall and a lot of them just down to the wire in January, last January when we were finishing the record. But we've kind of like just a lot of little ideas that had been kicking around for a long time that we actually hadn't really got a chance to explore as a full band because we'd been doing other stuff and playing other songs and just busy. And so we actually took a lot of these ideas and did a residency program up in Fort Collins at this place called the Music District. And we just like set up all of our gear. And then I was like, well, what about this idea? And then we bring out, like I bring out one of the ideas that I've been working on and then we kind of unpack those together as a group. Um, and a lot of the songs that we did that with actually didn't even make the cut for the record. So there's like these little half, half done song babies. And then reserve. But um, a lot of those did really come out in Colorado and, kind of like really in this weird way and I think you can kind of tell in their weird like push and pull towards each other lyrically that a lot of the lyrics kind of like came together just within those last few months like I think there had been some ideas and then you know needed that deadline to really (laughs) push me into Mm. you know working them through and fleshing them out do you typically need that do you usually need a deadline I hate to admit it, but I think so. <laughs> I think that sometimes like a show is a really good deadline and like uh, you can like release the first draft at a show and then be like, well, that didn't work and that didn't work and kind of go back to the drawing board. But yeah, I think I wish I were more disciplined. I think some songs that I'm sure you feel the same where like they just kind of tumble out of you and they're just yeah. there. Yeah. Whereas other ones will take absolute like decades it seems yeah i think that's true for most people i think but i don't know Mm. it depends like some people i talk to and the the what i'm learning and this is something i'm trying to practice and with varying degrees of success is the (laughs) (laughs) the people who seem to kind of strike that lightning more often it's because they've been slogging through doing a lot of Mm. the work you know and then those moments start to come more often. And that's something I've been trying to work on recently. Um, I just wrote something recently that, uh, I like the song and it just, it's, it doesn't sound right. Like, I don't know what to do. Cause for me, Mm. I'm I'm a writer first and then I, I'm a, you know, I'm a musician, but I'm, I'm not really a musician. I'm a writer who plays guitar and likes to write songs. So (laughs) I'll write something, you know, and, and lyrically, I'm almost always proud of it, but I'm not a person mm. who hears the melody first. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, interesting. And so the melody yeah. becomes more difficult for me sometimes. Sometimes it's just there. But for the most part, I got to fight through it. So I have this song that's written, and it's just like 
it's my first attempt at writing well first attempt in a long time at writing a love song <laughs> most of my songs are mm. about like social injustice and you know um yeah, a different police, kind of love. Police brutality. <laughs> um, oh, fuck. Yeah. So, because uh, that's what I need to talk about, you know. I feel like that's the thing yeah. that, that pisses me off, and I need to get it out somewhere so I don't go punch somebody or something, you know, or, or yell at someone. <laughs> but it, it comes out that way. But this song I wrote is this beautiful thing, I think, but I just don't, like, it just sounds stupid every time I play it. <laughs> I don't know uh, if you've been there. I know there, what you mean. You know? Yeah, oh, definitely, and I feel like, uh, I have such a hard time because especially when something becomes really dear and precious to you in a way and it takes, mm-hmm. it's so hard to change it because it, it exists for you in one way that you love even though it's not perfect or like doesn't work yet. I don't yeah. know if that's like a similar thing where you, yes. it takes like a, it's like that kill your darlings kind of like need to edit in a harsh way that, I don't know. But I, that's that's funny. That's cool that you write all the lyrics first. I feel like uh-huh. I, I, it's always music that comes first for me and then lyrics some of it starts there but a lot of it comes out so much later and I think that's true for wish. most true musicians you know I mean I think a lot of times it's melody um, like our friend Casey Anderson he's a good friend of the show I don't know if you know Casey's work also mm. Pacific yeah. Northwest guy but he, um, oh. he I asked him for advice once about it and he said because about writing a love song specifically and he's like the same way you write the other ones find the melody and then write the song and i was like that's not how it goes for me you know that's not how that's not how it works like i don't hear the usually i don't hear the melody you know but as but musicians it seems like if you're truly a musician and you're in it then that melody comes and then the lyrics come more often than not yeah i guess that's true for me but i guess i love how varied it is i think it's so fun to talk about this because everyone kind of reveals their, you know, lays their hands on the table and you're like, oh, I never thought about doing it that way. <laughs> that's so fascinating that that's where you started and not yeah. this other thing. Well, and I was yeah, talking to somebody really written. recently who said, uh, Sean James is his name, and he, mm. he said that it all comes at the same time for him, which blew my mind. The, <laughs> the lyrics and the melody and then also just like, the the sort of feel all of it just sort of happens for him at the same time when it happens and i was like man i don't know anybody who writes like that that's crazy <laughs> i know i was like that's amazing i want some of that i know right <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh, i think you're right too about the lightning thing i think that's a good thing to remember because i feel like and i'm sure that's like once you're like in the flow of a practice things mm-hmm. you know start happening more yeah, I should, I should remember that. Every time I get frustrated when the lightning isn't striking, I'm like, well, maybe you just have to be sitting in the right spot for it to strike. Like, sit at your desk and uh, your guitar, and then it'll strike, you know, when you're in striking distance. <laughs> right. And and not beating yourself up, too, about the when it's not striking, like you just said. Like, if that sometimes the ideas just um, aren't flowing, but you're working on them. And the more you work on them, the, close, the more you're digging the closer you are to striking that gold, you know? Yeah, I think that's so real. Oh, my God. I Um, I just want to get back there and do it more. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, good. Well, you did it in a big way on Between Skies. And I want to talk about sort of, um, so you're a self-described loner, and uh, your biography talks about the duality between, like, facing outward as the front person of of the band and then also turning inward and being a uh, more of an introverted person. Um, and yeah. how do you wrestle with that? 
and how does it come <laughs> out in your creative <laughs> process? That's a that's a great question. I think there I think I've kind of kind of just recently within the last like year or so really finally defined that for myself because I felt kind of like all over the place because I would write these really like you know tender and dear kind of quiet mm-hmm. songs like at home by myself and that's where my heart really is in the whole mess of it but then was kind of like fronting this rock band and which was more explosive and more extroverted and you're kind of performing and you know like jumping off stage and being very social and being very public in a way that is more of a performance it's sincere but it's still like sure. not quite like who i am <laughs> internally yeah. i guess so i think that's that has been kind of a struggle especially like right now i'm in the middle of this tour and we it's been like about three and a half weeks and we have just two shows left and starting to feel the edges of just having been so outward on all, uh. all of these nights of like engaging with fans which has been amazing and these really lovely crowds and but you're just kind of always on, and I think as an introvert, you do really need to tuck away and like kind of restore some of that energy so that you can be this like outward-facing thing. So I guess as far as music goes, I think if I, in the same way that if I do have that kind of like internal space to write and create, and it really is just like sitting at this kind of little desk and amps station I have in my apartment mm-hmm. and playing for hours until something cool comes out, and then I think that little gem whatever thing that is even if it's like a riff or a progression or just something that kind of strikes me i think it kind of like rebuilds all of this confidence and this Mm. kind of feeling of like oh no i've got some substance here that is important and like that that kind of carries me through all the other stuff i think and when i don't have that i think all the other stuff becomes really hard like just being on social media or just trying Mm, to like mm -hmm. you know promote the project because you kind of i think it it's like almost borderline imposter syndrome because if you don't feel like you're creating something worthy, you're like, well, then why would you know why would people pay attention to us anyway? And you kind of can <laughs> fall down that stairwell of self-doubt if you're not too careful. So I think having what I've realized now is just having that kind of like tender space live and exist. And however those songs grow up, whether they're full band songs or solo songs, I think that's kind of like winding itself into into something in this reality now but as far as like being a performer in like this rock band setting and like now I'm doing it all solo and Mm. in a weird way it's like it's it's I can like lean on all of the stuff I've done with like having a full band but also I really do get to lean into just like being lost in it in a way that I don't think you can in the full band like because you're leading everyone or you're like you know presenting it all together with this I just do most of the set with my eyes closed and it's very, very tender and kind of like intricate and delicate. I want to talk about that too. Cause I had some, somebody said something, I can't, I wish I could remember who it was. Somebody said something recently about not opening your, your eyes on stage. And I, mm. I, like, what, what is that? I don't know how to say <laughs> it other than what is that? <laughs> yeah. It's so, that's like, that's a great question. Cause I think too, like with the full band, I, do try so hard to open my eyes and like look people in the eye and really try to connect like that. But I think it's so funny because I, I know how powerful that can be as a performer and I like that a lot. But then on this tour, I've literally just closed my eyes for so much of it. And I think, I wonder if it's like just wanting so badly to deliver that song so well that I just don't want to get distracted by the room mm. or if 
if that's just a bad habit that I need to break. <laughs> but it might be a good habit. That's why I asked the question because I don't know. I mean, I'm re- like I've played a few open mics uh, just in the last nine months or so, and it all kind of came out of mm. a, a conversation like this where someone I was talking to encouraged me to go play, and so I did. And then I got kind of hooked on it, and I started playing fairly often. Um, but I end up cool. like now. Granted, it's small. You know, they're bars. Like there's some cases five people paying attention you know and some cases Mm -hmm. 30 at the most but i find myself uh kind of practicing like looking people in the eye as i'm delivering certain lines and i don't know (laughs) i don't know if that's good or not you know what i mean like but because i also find myself getting getting kind of caught up in their reaction you know what i mean Oh, sure. Yeah. Analyzing it. Yeah. Ooh. Which I think, yeah, I've, I feel like I've towed the same line and then I can get so distracted and I've definitely effed things up (laughs) (laughs) immediately afterwards. Or if you feel like you, or like you can just kind of, it's so funny what you see from stage that people don't think you can see Uh or even in like an open mic situation. And I, I hate how sensitive I can be to it. Like, especially if, if I feel like someone's bored or like, Mm-hmm. then you just, if you're not careful, you can just kind of derail yourself in a way. So I'm sure I would could see myself doing the same, like <laughs> delivering that line and then being like, you know, thrown by their reaction or something. But I love that. I love that you would still, you know, doing open mics is so important. I think that's still such great, you know, ground to work new stuff out on. It's super fun. It's terrifying, but <laughs> but it's super fun. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Um, especially when it's a new song because nobody's there you know when they come see you they're there to see you when they come to the open mic you know they may not they're not there to see me usually maybe like a good friend or two Mm. will come out Um, so it is kind of terrifying you know in some ways especially if it's something new like once I get comfortable with the song whatever I feel I feel good about what it is. So someone's reaction isn't as important to me. But the first couple of times I play a new song, it does, I do worry about it. And probably yeah. shouldn't. I'm um, going to start closing my eyes during new songs. <laughs> oh, that could be the test, right? Like new song, close them, comfortable song, open and delivering. Yeah. <laughs> to that might be the way to oh, approach man. it. Um, you uh, have partnered with One Colorado, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, yeah, we're actually still kind of like working on what that looks like. We're doing like our big release show this January and going to kind of partner with them in a more specific way and have them more visible at the show. But we're kind of trying to figure out how to make that work for both of us in a way that makes them visible and make it, make it effective. I'm trying to figure that out because it's hard. Like if you want to support a thing, it's like how do you support the thing that you want to support with in the way that you can as a musician or mm-hmm. besides just being vocal about it. But anyway, uh, what would you say? Well, what, what kind of ideas do you have in terms of this? That's a interesting creative process too. What, like in terms of how you're going to support, like, can you kind of walk us through what ideas you're bouncing around now? Like you said, other than of course being vocal about it, what can you do? Yeah, I think we're just, we're doing like some like, kind of raffle things like a part of the raffles they have for fundraisers we donate some merch and like tickets mm-hmm. and so whoever like wins those or put like you know supports those raffles could potentially come to our shows and then for the january show we're gonna have like a 
it, it sounds cheesy the way I'm going to say it now, but like maybe like a little booth or station so that the work that they do at their center that we can like, you know, have their representatives there and make what they do available to our community and our fans at that show. That's awesome. And then, but yeah, I'm excited about that because I think as a member of that community, I didn't really know what they offered or what they did until really recently, which I was really surprised by because it's like, you know, these are my people. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that all these resources were available until someone like, you know, word of mouth kind of had told me. And so I think too, as a, because I didn't know about that. And I think that's important to spread the word about. And it's, I feel like kind of responsible in a way that if I didn't know, then who else doesn't know? And which like as a voice of that community and even just within the community of musicians itself, like, whatever I could do to kind of make that more visible would be important. And just, I think there's so much partnering to be done between musicians or anyone with a platform really to support all these like local and communal community-based efforts around any cause that is good. I kind of wish we could see more of that. We were talking recently about, you know, like in the, the era of this new election about how many kind of really like powerful voices that, haven't spoken out about certain things and I know it's exhausting and that's not particularly their role, but like if you could just imagine like, you know, one of these really powerful people, you know, making a stance on something and there are 8 million followers, like wouldn't that make a, make a difference? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the reasons those people are in that position of power is because they, they're unwilling a lot of times to take controversial stances. Not that, not that most of the stuff you're talking about should be controversial, you know? I mean, well, can we back yeah. up for a second before we go down that rabbit hole? Because that could be a yeah. <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but yeah. um, but for folks who don't know what One Colorado is, can you give, like, a elevator pitch of what they do? Oh, I mean, that's a really good question, and I should have a prepared elevator pitch ah. for it. But they're like, I know this is important. This is um. Yeah, this is a good reminder. But they're like kind of a hub for LGBTQ community, and they have a lot of resources for healthcare and mm-hmm. um, harassment issues. And they're kind of like, like all of those things are really important. But uh, the people that we talked to specifically were kind of running, like kind of doing more um, lobbying towards different policy changes and doing all this work in the background that affects the lives of people in that community. And so they're, I think a lot of their fundraisers go to support kind of lobbying for different policy changes and things like, you know, um, gender neutral restrooms and like things that I think a lot of us don't even think about probably because we don't have to deal with it, but like, you know, harassment policies and safe workplaces and things like that. So outside of just being advocates themselves in like a safe space and having all these resources, they do actually work on policy change too. That's awesome. Man, that's all. That one's yeah. hard. That's so cool. We have a couple great organizations in Orlando. Um, Orlando, a lot of folks may not know. And I guess with, with the Pulse tragedy, I think it shined a little bit more mm. light on Orlando. But, um, you know, it's we're one of the more uh, LGBTQ-friendly towns in the country. And you don't think about that because oh. you certainly don't think about Florida when you think about yeah, human rights and civil rights. And, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and cause we have a reputation and some of it's well-earned, but Orlando is like this oasis in the middle of Florida. And there's an organization called the center that sounds a lot like uh, one, what one Colorado is doing. 
and on a on a smaller mm. scale and then uh the zebra coalition is an organization that takes in people who have been kicked out of their families because they're uh lgbtq somewhere in there and wow. like provides resources for them and helps them get on their feet gives them a place to stay if they need to it's just inc- and some of our friends uh work there and volunteer there just incredible uh, people doing incredible stuff. And sometimes we forget about that shit. There's some great stuff going on yeah. in this world. <laughs> there's some progress being yeah. made. And it doesn't feel like that all the time in the headlines. But damn it, there's some good people out there doing some good work. Yeah. <laughs> That's just important to be mindful of. I, you know, I do get so dark sometimes just watching exactly all those you know headlines come across your phone. And you're like, what's going on? There's no hope. But yeah. that's that's so heartwarming to hear and i had no idea that orlando was such a like i guess supportive city i never would have thought about that so there you go i had no idea i'm glad yeah i'm glad it came up uh i think yeah i mean it's it was one of the things that like when you go through town you see pride flags everywhere you see couples open and out and like people are just good you know for the most part i mean like any place we've got we've got warts and and there are parts of Orlando that aren't quite as friendly, but, um, yeah, it's one of the things that I really appreciated about this town. Um, when I first started spending time here for sure. That's so cool. Oh, that makes me think about the whole thing so differently. Like I think I did kind of have a negative slant on sure. or just like a, you know, a weariness to it. But that's natural no because I mean, you know, sometimes we don't think about stereotypes if they're kind of like, um, how do I phrase this? You know, I, I think we think of the, the blatant negative stereotype is so strong sometimes. And then if, mm. you know, if if the reality is dramatically different and it's actually super positive, <laughs> I, you know, I, yeah. I don't know that that gets the kind of press, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it should. Yeah. I, I'm super curious about this and this and my question may display my own ignorance. And if it does, I'm okay with that. Cause I want to learn. Um, <laughs> you spent time as a guitar tech with the tallest man on earth mm-hmm. and um, devil makes three among others. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. in my mind have, I think of that world as like pretty male dominated. Is that accurate? First of all. And then secondly, was that ever much of an issue for you in that world? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think earlier on more so, but then over the last few years, I think I've seen a lot more females, but we're still the minority. And funnily enough on this, I just sucked for uh, Devil Max 3 like a few weeks ago on their okay. tour. And for that moment, which was kind of, we all kind of like, this is crazy, but it was like a slim down to where we were supporting Flogging um, Molly and Social Distortion. Oh, and our cool. entire crew was female. We had a female monitor tech and tour manager, a female front of house. Our merch person was female. I was female. So the entire crew that like ran the show was all female. But it was funny. You kind of forgot because that was the norm for us in this wonderful way that it was so unusual. And you'd have a lot of the local crews just be like, I see you. Like, that's fucking rad that you got the all ladies <laughs> on the crew. But um, in the beginning, definitely, and I think for a long time, as I was just figuring so much stuff out for myself in that world and how to navigate that, I, it was it was really hard because I think you didn't realize just how much you needed to assert yourself in a certain way, and there's so much ego and 
stuff to deal with, especially like years ago when we weren't in these bigger rooms that we are now. I feel like in these bigger spaces, you do see a lot more females and there's just like a different level of respect for the show itself and the touring party. But those kind of intermediate um, venues that we went to, it takes so much energy and work just to be like, no, this is my job and I, I need this thing. Like usually it's something so dumb, like I need this space and I need no one else in this space so I can run the stage and I need a table. And they're all basic things that are so crucial that if someone decided they didn't think that the table you needed, for example, it's a terrible example, was important and just didn't give it to you. Like mm-hmm. it would just take time out of your day and like just kind of general attitudes. And then people come over and because you're like nice and small and female like I am we just like want to touch all the guitars or like just things that you I'm like surely would never you know they would never do if it was like a more dudely male tech (laughs) Mm. but I think in the beginning it was much harder and definitely dealed with some attitudes and it wasn't until after the show when I'd like been running around and you know doing this kind of intense job that people would acknowledge that I was like you know meant to be there I mean, but now did, it's a little different. I think I carry myself differently, too. Uh, like in what way? Like, I think for a long time, not a long time, but there was like a like a year or so in there where, where because I wasn't getting any respect or response for the things I needed, which especially the people I was working with at the time were these really intense gigs with like alternate tunings and mm. hard tuning changes and really frequent tuning changes. You need a lot of space, which is also not particularly usual for a guitar tech, especially at the venue sizes you would need. But people just wouldn't give me what I needed or just super disrespectful and not very kind. So I think for a while I would just felt like I couldn't be the nice person that I was, but I would have to be very stern and kind of like like a bitch. Like I'd have to be kind of aggressive yeah. to get, and that's not who I am and that's not effective. But I think yeah. there's like that weird moment when you're in your twenties and you're just like, I don't know how to communicate mm. in a way that will be effective. So I feel like I have to be really like cold almost because every time I was friendly, it would just be run over. But I think like, you know, that was like a moment, very brief pop in, in the whole thing. But coming like years later now, you just, you know what you need and you know how to be assertive without being mean or cold. And not to say I was ever really mean, but I think for me, if I'm not like <laughs> super warm and engaged, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't feel good. So oh, that sounds like a good, yeah. a good way. I can relate. I can definitely relate to that. Like uh, my, and that's pu- for me, it's purely anxiety. It's purely like mm. my anxiety coming up, analyzing some interaction I had, even if, and, nobody gives a fuck it's never like i've never really offended anyone in those instances and i still walk away from it like beating myself up about the way i said something or the tone oh, i used yeah. you know? <laughs> god i totally know what you mean yes yeah i still do that <laughs> yeah i well I, you know i do too not as much though i've been working on it I, I probably folks who listen to the show know that uh that for what two and a half years now i've been in therapy for my anxiety and uh, it mm. just makes a huge difference for me. Like I just, I mean, I still have my moments, but for the most part, I know I know how to control it. You know, I know how to work on it and work through it. Yeah. Um, but before that's I recognized powerful. it, it yeah. was bad. Yeah, I mean that's a real thing. That's like I deal with my own little batches of anxiety as well, <laughs> and it sucks. You just it kind of renders me renders me useless sometimes in a way that's really unfortunate. So, so what do you do? Like, what do you do to stay centered? 
Ooh, that's a good question. I think I'm like relearning how to do that out here on the mm. road right now, just because I haven't had so much alone time. But because it, it usually is really just like alone time of like recentering. And I think actually what I realized this year um, that a lot of how I like sort myself mentally and the and like just how I am in the world, I do that all through playing music. And I broke my hand <sighs> while teching on tour this last spring. Oh no! And I, which yes. Yeah, terrible it was like the third show into this like you know over a month long tour and just did, broke it so badly and so I but I that was a pain and you know what a sadness but I was in a cast for like however many weeks and in a brace and I couldn't move it and I got so I just became so out of throwing because I couldn't figure out how to kind of like center myself again because a lot of those who playing it with my left hand I couldn't fret or do anything. And then even when I did get the brace off and got the clearance to play again, it was all those muscles had just atrophied and died. <laughs> so wow. it was so hard to get back. And I mean, even now, it's still not quite where it was. And that was like, the break happened in April, like a, almost like a full <laughs> like five and a half months later. But yeah. I think that was interesting to realize just how much I relied on that practice to just be a good person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like it was just... Uh-huh. So anxious and out of sorts and just kind of like couldn't land. So I would write a lot as like, which is another like, I guess the other side of that same practice. And that kind of centers me and just trying to take time for myself. And especially first thing in the morning, I think jumping into like a ton of emails never really, Mm-mm. the day doesn't ride quite well. <laughs> but I start with myself and just write and kind of focus who, you know, where I am and what I need I think everything is so much easier and kind of like goes back to that same thing I was thinking about earlier where if like I'm writing and like that's flowing and I feel good about that, everything, everything else in my life is like infinitely better and easier and I can handle it all. But if it's not quite there and I don't have time or space to do that, then I think all the edges of anxiety and doubt and, you know, just feeling overwhelmed, like all, all creep up at once and, it can be really hard to get get out of the woods. I guess, right. <laughs> but that's such an important yeah. realization. I mean, I, I know that if I read, if I if I read, write, and exercise every day, like it doesn't have to be a ton. Mm. You know, it could be a walk, it could be a bike ride, um, just some sort of exercise. I read and I write, and I try to start off every day by writing, doing my morning pages uh, every morning. Yeah. You know, if Amazing. I do that, I'm better. Period. It's not magic, yeah. you know. It's like it's not like some yeah. kind of mystical uh, formula. Just do the shit, Ted. <laughs> yeah, that. God, that's so real. I think. I think I didn't realize for a long time how much of a practice everything like that is, and that maybe all the people I look up to also have practices. They just, you know, they happen in secret. We don't see them all the time. But I feel like that it's so much more common than I realized that we all do need that stuff. Yeah, I think than ever now and it's funny too the exercise piece I do I will one day but I wish I could be a runner but the last few tours I've been on the bands I've been with they all go running and I I think that's like such a marked change in like how tour life has evolved like I think when I was on the road you know like 10 years ago you know everyone was like hung over in the van the next day cranky and just like you was just like young kind of sprawling and now everyone I think does look after themselves so much differently and better and will go running and like mm-hmm. 
you know, we'll try to do the things that, like, a lot, I think there's a lot more self-care, which I think if everyone's doing it together, it's easier to just kind of tap into the, like, oh, yeah, we're all, like, little weird artists with our weird emotions in the brain. Yeah. <laughs> like, turns out we all kind of deal with, you know, a bunch of that stuff and need to look after each other as much as we need to look after ourselves. Well, and there seems to be, yeah, that's such an interesting observation because there does seem to be a shift where, and and as you're saying that, I'm wondering whether because touring has kind of replaced album sales in terms of revenue mm-hmm. streams, like whether people feel like they need to bring it even more now than before, like you can't really phone it in and keep bringing people out. And if you don't keep bringing people out, then you don't, you don't make a living. You know, I don't know if there's anything right. to that, that's- but... Oh, that is really interesting. I'm. I bet there is that kind of. I don't know, like um, more pressure in a way. I wonder about that too with social media and that, like anything that happens at a show now because of cell phones and yeah. <laughs> cameras, that everyone will know about it if you know if it goes poorly <sighs> or if it goes well. Like I think that's interesting, and I I like kind of glad that I grew up in the era that I did that we didn't really hit that, you know. And, and within that world, within music for a long time. But I feel like you just kind of shortchange a lot of these people that are just beginning and experimenting and figuring so much stuff out. Mm-hmm. Like if you can document it all. And I don't know, there's so much to be said for all those moments that we all had early on where you were just, it was just you and the people in the room and that's where it ended. Yeah. Like you can leave with a feeling and not so much the document of the feelings. <laughs> and it, it doesn't translate either. I mean, if you, I've watched a cell phone no, video of somebody's performance, it's not even close to what the real thing felt like. It's so hard to capture a live performance, even when that you have the right. best videographers and the equipment and the great editors and directors and everything. Like you can't, it's magic. You can't, video magic and translate that to being the same experience as if you were there yeah absolutely which is in one way great <laughs> Maybe, you know the live show will still have one but yeah. that is so true yeah. but yeah that's funny to think about just kind of this different pressure right oh, just because of all the digital stuff that's interesting yeah well, thank you so much for everything. Oh, you've given me more than I oh. possibly could have asked. This was so much fun. Between Skies is beautiful. Oh, it's excellent. Thank and, you so much. That uh, means the world to me. I'm yeah. glad. I'm, I'm excited for folks to hear it. You got one single out so far, right? Yeah, we released our next one on Thursday, on cool. October 3rd. Yeah. Which so Can you say which song that is? Oh, it's going to be On the Line, which is the opening track of the record. I love that song. Perfect. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much for the cameras. They really mean so much. I mean, especially at the end of a tour when you're just, just barely hanging on. You're like, it's okay. The work you do means something. <laughs> it does. It does. It really goes so far. That's great. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad this conversation came at the right time, and I'm so grateful for it. And um, have a good end of your tour, and um, yeah, hopefully you can make it to Orlando, and we can do this in person sometime. Oh, I would love that so much. Thanks so much for having me. This has been so My pleasure. Lovely. All right. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Bye.